prayer this morning that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Restore unto us joy that has been lost or crushed or oppressed over this last year, month, week. Restore to us the joy of your salvation by enabling us to look at your son this morning and to see in him the good news eternal life, abundant life. Jesus, we're here to, to meet with you. So we pray by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Enable us to hear what you have for us this morning. That we might walk in the joy that should be a mark of our lives as your followers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Some weeks I, uh, I work, I generally work on my sermon throughout the week little, in little bits at a time. And, um, and then by the end of the week, you know, I, I have something together. I'm like, okay, this is it. And some weeks I try doing that and I try working out through the week and I get something and I have an outline and everything. And then I'm like, this isn't it. And I have to scrap the whole thing. I'm like, this isn't God's word. And I was doing that over and over this week with this passage from Luke 1 because there's so much you could say about it. But I, I, I don't really uh, like to get in the pulpit and preach until I feel the sermon. Do you know what I mean? I want to feel it in my heart. I want to feel that God has a living word for us today. And I think that some of you really need to hear this word today about joy and about how the gospel restores our joy and gives us joy. The Bible tells us that the fruit of Holy Spirit is joy. And so people who are indwelt by the spirit of God's lives should be marked by what? Joy. 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 Now, if you could actually see the heavenly reality of who you are seated in heaven with Christ right now, you would probably break out in, in, in gut-busting laughter, right? You would be so joyful and filled with joy because you would see and that your salvation has been accomplished, that you are secure, that you are seated with him in perfect fellowship with him. And so we want to pray, Lord, let us just have a taste of that joy here in our earthly lives uh, until we experience it in all of its consummate fullness. But joy for the Christian is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just a, a nice good feeling that comes out of nowhere because we've had good behavior or something like that. Joy is rooted in the reality of what the gospel is. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ paid for your sins when he came to the earth so that you could be restored to fellowship with the God who created you and loves you and has a purpose and a calling for your life. Jesus came to, to put himself forward as a sacrifice, as an exchange for you, so that you wouldn't have to bear the wrath of God and the punishment of, of God against your sin. And when you put your trust in him, you have moved out from death and into life. Now, if that's not cause for joy and rejoicing, I don't know what is. So we Christians need to be a little bit more joyful, I think, and I know it's kind of like a joyful season and everything, but what I felt this morning in prayer when I finally felt the sermon that I had was the word for the people today is that I was crying out in my room this morning and I felt, I said, Lord, there are people with burdens that need to be lifted off today and those burdens need to be replaced with joy. And then I began, then the tears began to flow because I felt God's heart for people who are carrying burdens today. 
And I said, that now I know I need to preach on the joy of the Lord and how the gospel brings joy. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 this morning. And what I want to do, what I want to start with is I want to draw a parallel to something that happened in the Old Testament a thousand years before this story happened with Mary and Elizabeth and the babies leaping in the womb and all that. And then I want to, it's kind of gratuitous, but I feel like I should share it with you because it's so neat. And then I want to talk about uh, what's happening in this passage and why, why we can experience joy in the gospel. So it tells us about a little Mary, who was probably a young woman at the time, a teenager, and she had just given God the biggest yes in all of history. She said, let it be done to me according to your will. I'm going to bear the, 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 the Lord's child, the son of God in my womb. She gave him her yes, which must have been scary. Okay? Don't withhold your yes from God out of fear because he might birth something huge and miraculous through you. Okay, so Mary's given God her yes, and she goes to where? She goes to a hill country of Judea, which is Judah. Okay, so now here's the first parallel with something in the Old Testament. Are you ready? This is all going to come from 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can look at it later this week if you want to review it. David, when David, King David, the Ark of the Covenant, which was that ornate piece of furniture over which, upon which God's presence dwelt with his people, that Ark was captured in battle and taken somewhere else. And David had to go and get it with some of his military men. Where were they going? They were going to Judah. Okay, so they're, they're, Mary's going into Judah. David was going into Judah to capture the Ark of the Covenant. There's a literary and geographical parallel there. Now, the next thing that happens is that when Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth says to Mary, how is it that I'm so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Okay. David in second Samuel chapter six, when he retrieves the ark says, how is it that the ark of God could come to me? Okay. So there's a little literary parallel there now. Okay. Are you tracking with me so far? Now there's one more that's really huge and it's this. It says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Okay, so who's in Elizabeth's womb? John the Baptist. Okay, and he's six months older than Jesus. He's so she's 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 like probably looks about like my wife, popping out a little bit at this point. And Mary comes in immediately. John the Baptist testifies to the Messiah by leaping and dancing in the womb. So the first. Uh, people to celebrate the goodness of the gospel are unborn children. Don't let anybody convince you that, that, that children can be taken from their mother's womb because they're an inconvenience. Okay? That is a demonic lie from hell. Alright? So God uses babies who are unborn as the first to celebrate the good news of the gospel. Alright? Now, why, what's the parallel? When David goes into Judah and says, how is it that the ark of God could come to me? What does he do before the ark that is bearing God's presence? He dances with all his might before the ark of the Lord. Okay, so there's sort of three little interesting literary parallels here. Well, what are they telling us? What is Luke trying to tell us? He's telling us, because what was happening with David is that with the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem, to the city, God's presence coming back and his blessing and his salvation and his goodness was going to govern the city again because his presence would be there. What is Luke telling us about the, the, the child in Mary's womb? God's presence is invading not just a city, but the entire earth through the humble womb of a humble servant. 
And John the Baptist celebrates before the presence of God who is dwelling in Mary's uh, womb. Our Roman Catholic brethren might not be altogether wrong when they refer to Mary as an ark. Have you ever heard that? That Mary's the ark of the new covenant. And so there's kind of a beautiful uh, type and shadow in the Old Testament and a fulfillment of it in the new. Okay? Now don't go home and say, Father Cameron thinks we should worship Mary or something like that. No, no, no. I think it's a, it's an accurate theological parallel. Is there a symbolism going on here that could only have been from, designed from God's mind? Okay, so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're meant to see. And so the presence of God is coming in. You know, the gospel is so much about the presence of God coming to earth. It's about the whole gospel is about being restored to the presence of God. It's about the spirit of God at work up to something, restoring people to him. We read in uh, chapter one earlier of in Luke that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. So what we're seeing in this dance that he's doing in the womb is that he's already God's spirit dwells on unborn children in the womb. And John is filled with the spirit and he leaps for joy at at the presence of Jesus coming into contact with the presence of Jesus. Oh, that we would leap with joy like that in the presence of Jesus with that childlike, innocent ability to do so. So here's what I want to I want to talk about three things that our responses to the gospel, how the gospel brings joy into our life. And the first one is this. The gospel should bring childlike joy. It should bring childlike joy into our lives. The first uh, people, the first humans to experience and celebrate the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ as an unborn baby. That is the most vulnerable young, dependent human being on the earth as an unborn child. And so there's something there for us, right? We need to be dependent, humble, vulnerable, and willing to receive the good news of the gospel with that kind of joy. I heard a story the other day, a pastor was telling, and he said, I was at a conference and there was worship going on. And he said, you know, sometimes there's people dancing around and getting a little wild. And, you know, you're like, hey, whatever, I, I got, they're having a good time, but it's kind of annoying. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, so this lady's going crazy. And she's dancing during the worship and she's shouting and she's just got so much joy. And he's kind of like, yeah, she's kind of distracting or whatever. Then somebody comes up to him and says, yeah, he goes, he kind of, he said, I did one of these like, hmm. And then the lady who came up to him, she said, yeah, she was a prostitute and she just got set free. Right. So so that's that kind of childlike joy that comes about that through the transformation of the gospel in human lives. And that's the kind of joy that we needed to have. You see, the older and the smarter and the more sophisticated we get, the harder it becomes to see things with wonder and awe. And we've got to reclaim that childlike wonder in faith, Jesus was rejected by those who were considered the religious and spiritually mature in his culture. And he said this. He was praying about seeing what the work that God was doing in his disciples. And he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So a childlike dependence on God, a childlike trust in God will bring about great joy in our life. Now, Mary says this in her song, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. 
When, let me ask you this. When's the last time you got in the prayer closet and rejoiced before God? Okay? I know sometimes we get, we, we get, we get prayer feels like a burden. We're like, oh, God, what's the list today? Okay, pray for Joe, pray for Tina, pray for, yes, Lord, please help him. And it kind of feels like drudgery and stuff. In the Bible, people rejoice in the presence of God. They dance, they sing, they worship, they declare his praises. And some of us need to reclaim that kind of joy in our prayer life and let loose a little bit. Okay? You, you can do it by yourself, all right? I'm not saying you've got to go do it with a crowd of people watching you. But rejoice in what God has done by saving you from your sin in the person of his son. Some of you are going through some crud right now, and it's heavy. And you need to just put your eyes on him and start rejoicing in him and reclaim that joy. Number two is this. This will help us reclaim our joy in life and in the gospel is to keep our gaze on him. Is to keep our gaze on him. So often we get overcome by the things of life and the anxieties of life because our view shifts from looking vertical to horizontal all around us and everything that's going on around us and what this person said and what this person is doing and how this relationship is all messed up over here and how I don't have the money for this. And we get so consumed by our situation and we've lost our gaze on God, on the one who is faithful, who has all the resources that we need. You see, this whole passage... It's not primarily about Mary. It's not primarily about Elizabeth or John the Baptist. This whole passage centers around what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel itself, the gospel is about something that God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That's what makes it unique when you hold it up to the other religions of the world is that you're not called to do this, 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 and this and follow these rules and carry out this amount of good deeds and you might make it to heaven or enlightenment or salvation or whatever. The gospel is about something that we couldn't do for ourselves. We're too sinful. We're too weak. We're too broken. And the good news is is that Jesus says, I've come to rescue you. Just believe in me. Just put your trust in me and I will give you a new life. So many people in our culture are running on a treadmill of self-help spirituality. Even Christians fall into this. We were talking this morning in our class. I was reading a a study. 7% of um, proclaiming Christians in the U.S. have a biblical worldview. 7%. Isn't that wild? Who actually believe the things that the Bible says about God, sin, salvation, redemption in Jesus Christ. Only 7% of people who call themselves Christian. And so many people are running on treadmills of trying to find the next book or next YouTube video, the next thing that will bring inspiration into their life. And only Jesus can satisfy that. Only Jesus can bring joy into that place where we long for it. So you don't need to do something for yourself. You need to surrender to the one who can make you whole. That's what the gospel says. You surrender to the one who can make you whole. Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to be your own savior. Okay. For the rest of your life. You don't have to be your own savior. In any area of life. You take gaze and you put it back on him. And say you're the one who gave it all for me. The Bible says... 
Um, he who would not even spare his own son for us, would he not along with him give us everything we need? God is abundant God. He loves to give good things, but we need to turn our eyes back on him. Yesterday, we uh, stopped at a garage sale in the neighborhood, and my three-year-old son immediately spotted the big fire truck with the Paw Patrol dogs in it, and he runs over to it, and he's playing with it. He's playing with it, and he's just, that's his one toy, and I'm thinking, oh, man, we, how could we, because the kids were with us, and we're thinking, I better maybe mute this in case they're listening in the nursery, but I'm thinking, how can we get this? How can we sneak this for them? I was thinking about how much his little eyes are going to light up on Christmas morning when he sees that big fire truck and those little dogs. And I thought immediately, I had a thought from the Lord. The Lord said, I am a good father. If you can, you who, you, you, uh, who are evil, Jesus says, delight in giving good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? And so the father loves to provide for us. And he loves to be a source of joy for us, but we've got to get our eyes sometimes off our situation, off the people around us, off all the other things that we're trying to medicate our situation with, and, and look to him. And look to him. I mean medicate, not in a literal, physical way. I mean trying to pacify ourselves. And look back to him. Mary's secret was that her focus remained on God and his faithfulness. Her whole thing, it wasn't like, I'm the mother of the Lord, look at me, yeah, God's chosen girl. She recognizes the favor on her life, but her whole song is about God. She, she gives this prophetic song, this proclamation. The Holy Spirit's so present in this moment, in this scene, and she gives this proclamation and she says, He has been mindful of His servant. The Mighty One has done great things. His mercy extends. He has helped His servant. He is overthrowing the proud. She just continues to declare His praises because her gaze is Godward. Depression and anxiety abound in our culture in large part. Because we are so turned in on ourselves. Now that, that's, not as, that's not to say if you're struggling with depression, you're a selfish, horrible person. But I think there's so much emptiness in our culture. We are what uh, Martin Luther called homo, homo curvatus in se. Man turned in on himself. We are so inwardly focused. And the gospel calls us out of ourselves to gaze on the glory of Jesus Christ and there to find our joy, even when I'm going through it, even when I'm suffering, even when I'm hearing mocking, slandering, even when I'm feeling burdened by broken relationships in my life, even when I'm feeling like I don't know where my needs are going to get met for this next thing, even in that I can look to Jesus and say, you are everything, you are my joy. Our focus to have joy in the gospel, our gaze has to be on Jesus and the beauty of who he is and the goodness of God and his desire to provide for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that he says, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, okay, so that's like dwelling on, meditating, gazing. It's having a fixed gaze on the glory of the Lord and thinking about who he is. He says, as we do that, we are transformed more and more into his glory. You see, you can get caught up in it. 
You can get caught up in his glory. There is a place that you can go in prayer that you have to contend for. You might have to stay on your knees or in that prayer chair a little bit longer than you usually do. But Charles Spurgeon says there are places in the throne room that only those who are willing to fight for can ascend to. And some of us, that's where we need to get to get our joy reclaimed and to get out of the funk that we have been in is to ascend to that higher place. With fervent prayer and desire for him. The last thing that I believe is a key to experiencing the joy of the gospel is water. (laughs) Uh, Humility and lowliness. Humility and lowliness. Our culture celebrates celebrity. Charisma. Power. Money. Status. All of those things. But the gospel is good news for the humble and lowly. Now, Mary, I love another translation where she says uh, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Another translation gets this really well. He has paid attention to his lowly servant girl. She understood. She understood in this event where the gospel is literally being birthed in her womb. In her life, she understood in that moment that God had been paying attention all these years. Now, Nazareth, where Mary was from, I was looking a little bit at the history and what we've discovered from archaeology about Nazareth. And it's essentially like, I don't know, Okeechobee. What's there? <laughs> it, 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 it's, it was, no, they, uh, uh, historians think that there, at that time of Christ that there were maybe four to five hundred people who lived there. Time. Tiny little village, backwoods village, if you will. And that's where Mary came from. Not from Orlando or Miami or Hollywood. She was in Nazareth. Now imagine, she's growing up and not a lot to her life, not a lot going on. But she was a lowly servant of the Lord. And day in and day out, she cleaned the the dishes and washed the garments and prepared food for her family And probably, probably thought many times it's been 400 years since we've heard from a prophet, had an active visitation from God among our people. We're being ruled by oppressive Romans and governors and and uh, and kings. Lord, when will you do something? She had to have wrestled with that as a young Jewish girl. But the Lord saw her. You could have a little studio apartment in the corner of Maitland where nobody even knows where it is. And if you are living a humble and lowly life as a servant of the Lord, he sees you. He pays attention to you and he has a plan to birth something into the world through you. Humility and lowliness. The gospel is not for those who think themselves strong and successful and smart apart from God. It's not. John Stott, the old English clergyman, said this. He said, the kind of people who want to try to put God under a microscope and get him all figured out and scientifically analyze whether or not he exists are the kind of people that God actively hides himself from. Because God is not the slave of human hubris. 
God is looking for humble hearts that go, I don't know. I don't have all the answers, God. I don't understand who you are, but I know that you are real. When I look around me at this world, there is no way that such a miracle could have happened, that this creation that's so beautifully designed could be. And so I want to surrender to you and I want to know you. Those are the kind of people God is looking for. Humility and lowliness. And Mary goes on and she just proclaims over and over and over. He's scattering those who are proud in their inmost hearts. Now, by the way, think about this. We see all these things in the ministry of Jesus. He scatters the proud in their inmost hearts. Jesus was always, the Pharisees were always trying to bait and switch him. And he never, ever got pulled into it. He always turned the tables on him. He would ask them another question and reveal their hypocrisy and their hard-heartedness. He scatters the proud in their inmost hearts. She says, He brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. Sometimes we get discouraged about the leadership in, on planet Earth in the governments of the world. And we think there's wickedness and tyranny reigning throughout this world. But you see, the gospel reminds us that God in his own subversive way is undermining those systems with good news of the gospel. So if you're frustrated with the way that the world is being run right now and you better believe that I am and you want to do something about it, you the, the, the best thing that you can do is not get a megaphone and go to the Capitol and try to scream angrily about your political views or whatever. The best thing that you can do is go out into your local community and pray for people and share them, share with them how good Jesus is. And how he wants to be a part of their life. That is how the gospel undermines the work of the devil in this world. And God is looking for humble and lowly people who will live those quiet lives. Sharing Jesus. Serving others. Laying down their lives. Forgiving their enemies. Being bold witnesses. And God's favor and his attention are on those. Isn't that awesome? I'm so glad about that. Because I don't have to go out and become a celebrity pastor and build a mega church and be all over YouTube and the Internet and wear skinny jeans and have fog machines and big screens. <laughs> I just want to serve, tell people about Jesus. That's all God is looking for is for those who are humble and lowly. Now, here's the last thing I want to ask, because this is absolutely key to, to having joy in the gospel. Mary says this, he has filled the hungry with good things. How hungry are you? It's a question to ask yourself. How hungry am I to experience the presence of God and all that comes with it? How desperate am I? You know, it's so easy in the Christian life for the fire to die out and to forget to put some kindle on it, forget to fan it back into flame. It's so easy we get caught up in work or entertainment, family business, friends business. We get caught up. In an Old Testament, God would set the fire in the temple on the altar, but the priests had the duty to keep it stoked around the clock. And there's a responsibility on all of us to keep that fire by God's grace. By God's grace and listening to His voice 
that is calling us into that secret place to stoke the fire, to put kindle on the fire, to fan into flame what is inside of you. Are you hungry for his presence? Wrapping this all up. All of these things are a response to what God has done in Christ. These aren't things that we're going to work up on our own and get our joy back and, and, and get free of anxiety or depression or whatever it is. It is simply looking at Jesus and recognizing what God has done in him. His presence has invaded the world. It is still here. It is inside you. If you have given him your life, it is transforming you in ways of which you are not even aware. And when you keep your eyes fixed on the Savior and what he has done for you, your joy will be restored. Your joy will be restored. I know that some of us are walking through a season where it's like, oh, Trying to have joy is like an uphill battle. It's like an uphill battle. But we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. We celebrate, we have joy, and we rejoice in His presence. And we keep ourselves in a posture of humility and lowliness and service. And I'm telling you that these things are channels by which the joy of the Lord, sometimes it will come as a subtle whisper, You'll just feel a little nudge of his presence and his delight in you. You'll feel a little something. There will be some small blessing that comes along the way and you think, is that you? (laughs) You ever get those? Is that you? And that's God smiling on your faithfulness, even in a difficult season. I want to close us out in prayer. And then I'd like to just... uh, take a minute to, um, to, to actually just sort of open up for two or three, maybe, two or three simple 30-second testimonies of how the Lord has brought joy into your life through some difficulty recently. Two or three, 30 seconds each. No life stories today. That'll be for another time. But just, this is what I was going through. This is what the Lord did or what the Lord is doing. Or this is what I'm putting my hope in. And we want to celebrate what God is doing. So let's pray and then we'll have some testimonies. Thank you, Father, for your heart's desire for us to be full of joy, to have, Jesus, you prayed for your disciples that the full measure of your joy would be in them. Lord, I don't know if any of us has even tasted the full measure of your joy yet, but we pray, we pray that in this place today, as we worship you and as we keep our gaze fixed on your Son, that joy would arise in our hearts. And Father, I pray for those who carried heavy burdens into this place uh, this, uh, this weekend, who have experienced loss in the last year, who have experienced grief like they've never experienced before, those who have experienced uh, financial uh, troubles and financial oppression in this last year with all that's gone on in the world. Father, I pray that right now, by the work of your Spirit, that you would just even in a felt way begin to lift off Lift those burdens off the shoulders of the people and restore the joy of your salvation unto them. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that our sins have been paid for and that in turning to you we find life, salvation, and everlasting joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, can I get a microphone?